Thanks so much for coming out this afternoon. My name is Courtney Freer. I'm a research officer at the Kuwait program. And today, obviously, we're going to be speaking about the notion of salafia, which is something I think uh, a lot of us could, could stand to know more about. And we have with us to discuss the topic Andrew Hammond, who's a doctoral candidate at St. Anthony College. <coughs> um, he's looking at interaction between Turkish and Arabic language ulama and intellectuals in the early 20th century, including their role in the development of the notion of salafia. Um, he previously studied Arabic and early Islamic history at SOAS um, and Turkish at Oxford. Um, and has been published, has published material on contemporary Islamist movements in Egypt, Qatar, um, and Saudi Arabia. Um, so, without going on too long, I'll go ahead and get him, let him get started. He's going to speak for about 30, 40 minutes, and then we'll open up for questions. Um, and again, if, you, if you'd like to tweet about the event, the hashtag is LSE Hammond. So, thanks very much. Um. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, uh, normally I understand people normally talk about uh, the, the Gulf specifically, and I'm, I'm going to talk about, go beyond a little bit um, to Turkey. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a prop that I could have brought, which I didn't. There's a, there's a book that was uh, published uh, just the other year uh, from a conference uh, held in Istanbul in 2013. Um, by, held by the uh, Foundation for Research in Islamic Sciences in Istanbul, um, titled uh, Salafism in History and Today, Tarihte Gunamuzde Salafilik. This uh, conference it, uh, lasted over a couple of days. You have all this discussion of uh, the idea of uh, Salafism, which is defined here as Salafilik, the term being used in Turkish. Uh, the book, I wasn't at the conference itself, but the book itself, if you see it, it's like that thick, 700 pages, uh, discussing this idea. Um, the interesting thing about it is, is that there's, um, there's no uh, specific discussion of Salafism and what it might mean in Turkey today, or even in the last 30 years um, at all, um, which, which I found quite striking. But looking through it, uh, I discovered that um, one of the conveners of the conference, the former uh, head of Dianet, the uh, religious affairs directorate uh, in Turkey, uh, Ali Bardakolu, he, he said in his closing comments, uh, there should have been a paper at this meeting that discussed Turkish Salafism. Scholarly, scholarly gatherings must take place in which religious movements in Turkey, including even Salafism, can be discussed extensively from different angles. So, it's quite striking that uh, there's this lack of discussion in this event, uh, so many people discussing, but not this uh, particular question. Um, at the same time, uh, there was uh, a volume that came out, uh, which many of you probably know from 2009, uh, by Roel Meir, uh, Global Salafism, Islam's New Religious Movement, um, which has kind of come to be seen as a kind of um, you know, central text discussing the idea of Salafism today. Um, in it, of course, there are discussions of Salafism in various contexts, uh, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, France, Indonesia, Gaza, and other places. But again, there's absolutely no discussion of, uh, of Turkey. Um, and uh, in a way to jump to the end, in a sense, I think what we're seeing here is uh, Western scholarship with its Arabist proclivities to a degree when it comes to discussing Islamic issues, uh, ignoring what might be happening in Turkey. Um, and also you have this, uh, the, the, the continuing sense of Kemalist exceptionalism, thinking that this concept cannot be anything to do with us. It's not worth discussing. Um, but uh, one of the, uh, one of the, one of the uh, problems with uh, discussing Salafism in Turkey, um, or in general, is uh, the issue of a definition. Um, today, it's, uh, the categorizations, one that's quite convincing, um, and which is offered in the Meyer book is uh, a division into three of Salafiyya Tanzimiya, a kind of political, organized political Salafism, uh, Salafiyya Elmiya, uh, which is uh, what is essentially meant by this phrase quietist that's, always that's uh, quite often used to describe some Salafi uh, movements, and Salafiyya Jihadiyya, which uh, I think everyone's you know, uh, more familiar with and which is discussed in media a lot, uh, Jihadi Salafism. Um, the division is fine enough. Um, there are issues with it. Um, many aspects of, of uh, what is Ilmi has gone Tanzimi. Um, the Egyptian Salafists setting up the Nur movement uh, since uh, 2011. 
Um, you have uh, obviously uh, organized uh, movements in, in uh, Kuwait as well, in Bahrain. Um, and also on the jihadi side, uh, you have quite a bit of overlap with, uh, with the thinking of Said Qutb, especially with um, those movements um, which emerged in Egypt in the 1970s. Qutb uh, starts to become very important. Um, uh, however, Another issue is uh, when it comes to definitions, one thing to talk about how we talk about it today and how we might uh, divide it and categorize it, uh, but then you have the issue about how it stretches back in time. Um, there's an implication, even in the Meyer book, that we're talking about something that has a kind of timeless essence. Uh, as we understand it today, it has always existed. Um, and uh, I think that comes through a little bit in the, uh, in the, the uh, chapter by Bernard Haeckel. Um, he doesn't go quite so far as to say there's always been Salafia, this abstract uh, noun in Arabic, uh, not referring to the Salaf themselves, the first generation or two of, uh, of Muslims, but those who follow them as a certain school calling themselves Salafia as this abstract noun. Um, he doesn't go quite so far as to say that exists, but the implication is there. Um, now, there have been quite a, a lot of interesting discussions of this in uh, recent years. Um, one takes an essentiality of, of Haeckel further, uh, Henri Lozier uh, has an, uh, an article that came out, um, I think, just the other year, um, where he uh, picks up on the very obvious fact that Salafism has meant, in modern times, the, first, the, the word first comes into public consciousness and even scholarly discussion in a, in a major way with reference to uh, a movement of people who were quite different from what we would think of as Salafism today, i.e., Dual Din Lafghani, Mohammed Abdo, Rashid Rida, this movement referred to as, uh, as variously reformists, modernists, Muslim revivalists. Um, but they certainly had, uh, at least with Abdo anyway, um, and, and Afghani, uh, a, a different approach from that today. They were, they were very much dealing with uh, the challenge of the West, of Europe, um, and trying to see how they could uh, trans, transfer, fit Islamic concepts into European ones that they were receiving, and which they were receiving in many ways very positively. Um, uh, Lozier, uh, he accepts this, th th this, is, this is the case, that we think of Salafism associated with Abdu and these modernists, um, uh, but he, he, he traces it specifically to uh, the uh, Salafia bookshop that was established in Cairo by Mohibuddin al-Khatib, uh, and then the efforts of Rashid Rida and Louis Massignon, the French Orientalist historian, uh, who really popular, popularized the term. Um, Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Abdu himself would talk about the Salaf, but he wouldn't talk about being a, a, a Salafi or a follower uh, of the Salafia himself. Um, but the interesting thing is that Lozier says that in a sense, Abdu and these modernists were an aberration in claiming or the title being used to refer to them, because even if it wasn't used before, there was still a historical sense of something that we could call Salafia, uh, which means that Abdo and the others have no right to be, uh, have this term referred, uh, referred to them. Uh, we shouldn't be referring this term to them. Um, this is challenged really in a way by a couple of other discussions that have come out that are quite interesting. Khaled uh, al Frank Griefel, uh, Ischak Weissman have all looked at this uh, issue as well. And uh, the Rawayhib discussion is interesting. He, he essentially argues that... Uh, the idea of uh, Salafism with uh, Ibn Taymiyyah as this iconic founding pioneer figure uh, is really not justified when you look wider in uh, the historical sources. Um, he, he looks, for example, at the, uh, the Ottoman uh, Qadi Zadali movement, um, which in some ways you might think is uh, Salafi in nature because they had a problem with visiting shrines and tombs with Sufism, with the clerical establishment, uh, which didn't challenge this. Uh, but they didn't, uh, they didn't have Ibn Taymiyyah as, a, as an essential founding figure for themselves or someone they were referring to. And uh, many of them were interested in Kalam, speculative theology and logic, uh, things that are not associated with uh, Salafism as you think of it today and as it's uh, linked to Ibn Taymiyyah. Um, in other words, um, part of the package of what we're, we're thinking of as Salafism today, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the argument is that it's distributed differently historically. Before the modern period, before uh, Abdo in the late 19th century, uh, the elements of this, this uh, thing that we're calling Salafism were there, but not in the same mix. You know, so, many people uh, may have... Uh, may have uh, ag agreed with the theology, the Hanbali theology, but they disagreed on other points. They, they, they were interested in Kalam as a practice. Um, so uh, there are 
the, the, the idea of Salafism as a historical, a historical fact has really been questioned. Um, uh, and, uh, but in essence, around that time, early 20th century, you have three groups who are staking a claim to the, the Salaf, or using the Salaf as a reference, referring to the Salaf. Uh, the Hadith scholars, uh, referred to as traditionalists sometimes, who are interested in uh, breaking the idea of taqlid, of sticking to one particular school, uh, w such as the uh, Ahli Hadith movement, uh, Muhammad al-Shawkani in Yemen. Um, the Wahhabi movement, of course, with their interest in Ibn Taymiyyah and everything that follows on, their, 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 their issues with uh, Kufr and Shirk, shrines, Shia, Kalam, Sufism. And you have this modernist movement as well, who are being associated with this term. Griefel's point is, is that there's no reason uh, why uh, Muhammad Abdu and Rashid Rida could not make appeal to the Salaf uh, as much as the Wahhabis. Uh, they could use this term. So, anyway, that all aside, there is this, this discussion going on about the meaning and what it meant historically. Um, but essentially, we have a first stage of Salafism, like we could say, where uh, it is associated to a certain degree, if not a large degree, with uh, the modernist, uh, modernist movement. I think we have two further stages of uh, how this, the concept has changed. Um, Secondly, uh, I would say 1960s to 1960s and 1970s in Saudi Arabia, you have the consolidation of uh, Saudi Arabia as a space for uh, the production of this Ibn Taymiyyah-based uh, concept of Salafism, uh, which involves a coalescing of these two ideas of, uh, of uh, the, 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 the anti-Taqlid movement, uh, this idea of Lamad Habiyah not being attached to one particular school, and, and the Wahhabis. Um, uh, Griffel makes the point that uh, Abdelaziz in Saudi Arabia consciously tried to link Saudi Arabia and al-Wahhabiyya with, uh, with the idea of Salafism which had been popularized just in the 1920s and just before from around 1929. And it's interesting that in, even in 1938, as late as 1938, uh, Hassan al-Banna of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, could define the Brotherhood as Dawah Salafiyya with Tariqat Sunniyya and Hatikat Sufiyya, uh, uh, a Salafi uh, call or message uh, Sunni path and uh, Sufi uh, truth. Um, but still, when we get to, um, what, I, what, I, what I would argue is that when we get to around the 60s and 70s, essentially the Brotherhood has given up on this term. It ceded the ground semantically to uh, Wahhabism and the others within its scope in, uh, who are in Saudi Arabia and consolidating Saudi Arabia as a presence for various discussions um, and different schools within Salafism. Um, to the degree that Hossam Tamam, the late uh, Hossam Tamam, could write uh, a study in 2010, a very good one, called Tasalluf al-Ikhwan al-Muslimin. He's discussing the Salafization of the Muslim Brotherhood because we do not consider them to be Salafi in the first place. But still in the 1930s they were able to use that term. So something's happened between the 1920s and the 1960s and 70s. Um, there's a third stage, I would say, uh, arguably, uh, from around the 1990s in the context of uh, globalization, an uh, information technology revolution, uh, which has led to this term that's being used a lot now of trans transnational uh, Salafism, which has been discussed uh, uh, extensively by Olivier Roy in his uh, study and, of course, uh, the uh, Meyer uh, volume as well. Um, when it comes to Turkey, uh, what I think is interesting is that um, Turkey's kind of wrestling with the notion of Salafism really starts um, in the context of these second and third stages of when it becomes something to do with Saudi Arabia uh, or when it's gone transnational. Uh, obviously, the, the Republic had, had uh, from 1923, had really cut itself off from uh, the Islamic milieu uh, as much as it possibly could. Um, but from the 1970s, you have uh, parties making uh, I mean, a clear Islamic reference emerged within the context of this Mili Garush movement of uh, uh, Nejm Nejmuddin Erbakan. Um, but in 1980, I, I, I think of this as kind of a, the, 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 the beginning of something new, because it was, that was the year of the military coup uh, in which a new, uh, a new um, ideological presentation was given to Turkish people of the Turk Islam Sentezi, this Turkish Islamic synthesis, which was bringing together nationalism with religion. Um, and it was in that context that uh, Turkey's relations with uh, the Islamic uh, milieu and specifically with Saudi Arabia began to change. Um, ties were pursued with uh, Saudi Arabia specifically 
um, and Turkey uh, became more active in pan-Islamic institutions that were based in Saudi Arabia. Uh, General Kanan Evren, uh, who was the president throughout most of the 80s, uh, he made Turkey one of the most active members of the organization of the Islamic Conference. And the World Muslim League, referred to in, in Turkey usually as Rabata, um, became active in coordinating with the Diyanet, the uh, Religious Affairs Administration, uh, to the degree that uh, uh, Rabata was coordinating with them to train uh, people and provide literature uh, to out, for outreach to m Turkish Muslim communities in Europe. Um, and I, th I think it went beyond that as well into financial services, publishing, children's books. It was written about by a, a journalist who, um, who, who died, um, Uwur Mumju, who, who wrote a book called Rabatel 1987. It was seen as kind of a scandal at the time that these links were going on and that DNA was cooperating with, uh, with that body. Um, essentially what you have is um, uh, an interest between two regimes, um, n not so shocking and we see in other uh, situations. Um, uh, the Turkish regime was frightened of or concerned about the left. It was concerned about this movement we refer to today as political Islam. And in Saudi Arabia, they had the shock of the, uh, the uh, seizing of the mosque uh, in 1979, which was something that emerged from within Wahhabiya itself, um, of course, and the Iranian Revolution and it had an interest to stake these hegemonic claims over Sunni Islamic discourse via this, which it, which it did, via this process of disseminating Wahhabi scholarship, the, the publication of much literature and, and sending it all around the world and funding mosques. Um, so I think in 1980 is the point to look at where there's a shift and suddenly Salafism starts to become something that people, uh, that scholars, that media are interested in looking at in Turkey, but how? Um, I see three uh, interesting elements here that I will want to uh, look at. Um, firstly, uh, it is, as Ali Bardakolu's comment uh, uh, suggested, it's treated as something that's uh, alien to Turkey. It becomes discussed, but it's always as something outside, something to do with Saudi Arabia, Egypt, or beyond, um, but not Turkey itself. Um, it becomes something very much discussed. Uh, if you look through, uh, I was looking through the Cancer of Higher Education's database, the number of master's theses and, and PhDs that are discussing, that have the word Salafi in them, for example, in the title, has, uh, there was nothing before 1999, but since then you have uh, dozens. Um, there was a publication, uh, there's a publication uh, from uh, Konya University called Marifi, which had a special issue in 2009, which was devoted entirely to the question of a Salafilik. Um, you had various articles on refutations of Saudi Wahhabism, jihadi Salafism in Saudi Arabia. Said Nursi, the uh, theologian in the early Republican period, was very influential. His view of the Salaf, uh, the thought of Said Qutb and Ibn Taymiyyah, and Salafism in the context of the Muslim reformers of Abdul Afghani and, and Rashid Rida. But again, nothing looking at what it might mean in Turkey itself. Um, there, uh, as another example, uh, another uh, uh, theology department scholar and academic, uh, Mehmet Zaki Ishchan, Ishjan, uh, he wrote uh, a book on Salafism uh, called Salafilik uh, in 2006. But again, it made uh, no connections. Um, but interestingly, um, Ishchan, he, has a, he has an interesting article um, that came out uh, around that time as well, where he looks at the uh, question of... Uh, uh, the, the, the Hanafi maturity nature of Turkish Islam, the, the Hanafi legal school, the maturity theology, and this kind of, uh, you, you know, you see this as kind of almost fetishization of this uh, Hanafi maturity uh, system as something specific to Turkey and it explains Turkey's um, uh, more tolerant, let's say, approach. Um, and he goes through literature in the last 20 years uh, expressing uh, the sense that Turkey's Islam is different because of the Hanafi maturity system, but also in many of the things that he cites, this fear that it's under some kind of threat. And in some of the articles he mentions, you can see the word Salafism is mentioned, saying that the state needs to, um, it needs to and this is after 2002 as well, when the AKP have come to power, that the state needs to go back to uh, consolidating its Hanafi maturity roots and uh, keep away from Salafism. 
there's a certain kind of scaremongering there because the term can be used in a sense that, uh, again, it had become a kind of scaremongering term in a way and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be used, it could be used for any Islamist essentially as a way of uh, scaring people against what they represent. But still, um, Ishjan, he doesn't really investigate further what that might mean, that Salafism was even mentioned as something, as something within Turkey. Um, th I think that has begun to change. Um, and one example, uh, just in the last couple of years, um, one example is an, an article as well by another theology professor, department professor, Hilmi Demir of the Hittite University, who published this article uh, entitled Nakshibendilik Salafilesh Yormu. He's saying as a Nakshibendi Sufi uh, sect, uh, Salafizing. The same question, the uh, same issue that uh, Hussam Tamam was raising uh, regards Egypt and Muslim Brotherhood. Um, he points to a number of things. He points to the fact that um, a number of uh, Turkish language and Arabic language refutations of Salafism have gone out of print in Turkey since the, since the 1990s. And his suggestion is that publishers sensed that the wind was changing and there was less interest in this material. Um, he also points to uh, Naqshbandi theological writings. He goes through a whole lot of the uh, Naqshbandi uh, sects and argues that their, their positions are beginning to shift on theological issues. Um, regarding faith and action and uh, whether good and bad can be known through reason or it has to be through uh, revelation. Um, he also draws attention to the fact that uh, Dianet, um, it, uh, it published a series of uh, Ilmi Haus, these catechisms, these statement of, statements of faith and, uh, which are, which are uh, published as kind of official endorsement of what, what the religion should be. Um, uh, they were, there was a series of them published from 1999, um, and it's interesting that uh, Salafiye, that term specifically, uh, is, is cited there as one of the three theologies alongside uh, Ash, uh, Asharism and Maturidism, and, and even as the first, um, which is uh, a little bit unusual. Um, it was mentioned in the same way in 1924 by an intellectual, uh, uh, Ismail Haki, um, and again in 1950s by uh, uh, someone who was involved with uh, Dianet, Umar Nasuhi Bilmen. But it really kind of disappeared as something that was discussed um, uh, uh, publicly or, or even in uh, scholarly terms. Um, so you kind of see a, a sort of backdating of Salafism there as a mainstream tradition. I mean, the implication is that there's always been something called Salafia. Um, then uh, it was interesting, last year, uh, Dianet uh, published a refutation of uh, ISIS, or Islamic State Group's uh, ideology, um, where they shift their terminology again in terms of uh, where do we use Salafilik, do we use Salafia. Um, uh, instead of the Salafiyah, which is, which is obviously approved uh, of its Ilmi Hal, it shifts to Salafism for the negative sense, or what it thinks is negative, or the negative sense as, as ISIS, for, as it says, a violence and terror-based political Salafism is Salafism, and the positive is Salafiyah. Um, it also goes on to say that um, ISIS has veered from, uh, quote, a trend known in history as scholarly Salafism, Ilmi Salafilik, the Salafi Ilmiya, which could be described as the most elementary and authentic uh, effort to understand and live Islam. So in a sense, I mean, you could argue that uh, you have an invented tradition here being presented as the essence of uh, Sunni Islam. Um, so that's, uh, that's one element of how I, I've, I've seen that it's been discussed. Um, secondly, um, uh, I looked through the literature of uh, an, an interesting uh, intellectual in uh, Turkey um, who's been uh, active since the uh, late 1970s, um, Ali Bulac. Um, today, he, he writes in Zaman newspaper as a columnist, and quite often today, if you mention him to people, they will say, especially if they're younger, they'll say, oh, he's not that important, or I don't think he's one of the, you know, I, he wouldn't be on my top ten of uh, interesting or important uh, uh, Muslim intellectuals or Islamic intellectuals in Turkey. However, he was, uh, he, he's seen as having been very influential in the 1980s, especially with his first uh, couple of books, um, the, fir uh, the, the first three in particular, Chadash Kavramlar with Dizinlar, Modern uh, Concepts and Systems, Islam Dunya Sinda Toplum Saldishme, Social Change in the Islamic World, and Islam Dunya Sinda Jishunji Surunlar, Intellectual Issues in the Islamic World. Um, these three, he hasn't been discussed too much, uh, he's not being translated into English, or I'm, uh, as far as I know and have seen, he's not in Arabic either, um, which is kind of uh, typical of this, uh, this um, 
uh, isolation that Turkey has managed to, to, to place itself in in regards to the wider uh, Arab-Islamic context. Um, I, I talk as an Arabist myself, so I even say Arabic-Islamic. We can't get away from these things. But um, he was discussed by uh, Michael Meeker, uh, an anthropologist uh, who's, who writes about, who's written about Turkey. Um, uh, and that was in the early 90s. Since then, he's not really been looked at. Um, in general, his, his work, uh, I would say the general aim is to undermine Western ideologies, generally, um, which have been adopted by Muslims, and to kind of breach the walls of Turkish exceptionalism and reconnect with the Arab-Islamic context. I think specifically he is thinking of Arab-Islamic. Um, he has a kind of penchant for, um, uh, for citing the if you're talking about uh, a concept from, uh, from uh, Islamic history or fiqh or, or anything from, on Sharia, he will, he will say what the word is in Arabic and Turkish so that he's kind of educating his audience into what the, the word is, in, uh, what the word is in, uh, in Arabic. But he even goes beyond that and he will take words um, which don't have a particular religious connotation and he will tell you what they are. He will give you an, an Arabic version of it so that you could use it in Turkish. Um, it's kind of reminiscent in a way of uh, the, uh, the, the famous comment of um, Mustafa Sabri Effendi uh, when he, writing in Arabic when he left the Republic to go to Cairo um, that his regret that um, Turks had, had, had not Arabized, had not given up Turkish for Arabic. Um, uh, also, Balaj, he, he, he regrets that with the Mili Garush movement, his evaluation of it, he, he feels that they adhere too closely to nationalism um, and they, they saw Islam and in its kind of post-Mili Garush format under Erdogan. Really, they treat Islam simply as a way of reorienting Turkish influence rather as really internalizing it as, a, as an ideology or as a, as a religion. Um, but in his works, um, Salafism in the, first, in the 1980s hardly is mentioned at all, not the Salaf either, uh, hardly mentioned at all. Uh, he mentions uh, Salafi Akimlar, Salafi trends in uh, 1987 um, uh, as those who oppose the philosophers and they oppose Kalam specula speculative theology. Um, but in 1994, uh, he has a book, Islam uh, Dushinja Sindhi uh, religion, philosophy, uh, revelation, reason—the relation between the relation between religion, philosophy, revelation, and reason in Islamic thought—and there, there's a clear shift. It's ab absolutely full of discussion of Salafism and history of Salafi trends from the early stage. Um, no, he's quite clear. He says there's no Salafi school in itself, um, but still, his interests have uh, clearly shifted. Um, he moves on in, uh, in the things that he's written since then. He's advocating a reconciliation between Salafism and political Islam, uh, as he terms it, in 2006, uh, a book he came out with in that year. And also, more recently, in 2012, uh, he talks about Salafism and Sufism. He advocates a reconciliation between the two. Um, in his recent articles in the last couple of years, he warns readers against uh, rejecting Salafism, uh, regarding it as something illegitimate, um, and he, he, he says that we shouldn't think that their idea of takfir doesn't go as far as the extent of the, the, the Khawarij, the early Kharijites, um, and that they wouldn't, they wouldn't use takfir against the, the, first, the first Muslims, or, or many of the important ones who are uh, remembered well in history. Um, but his terminology shift, again, we've seen, I've, I've kind of alluded to the fact that the, 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 the term that's used to translate Salafia uh, changes. Uh, he uses Salafilik sometimes, uh, on other occasions he uses, he uses Salafijilik. Um, uh, I, generally, I think what you see there is a kind of uh, accommodationist uh, approach, let's say. He wants to internalize, to br bring uh, Salafism into the, 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 the body of what is considered uh, uh, part of, um, legitimate part of uh, Islamic experience and ideology. Um, uh, and it's something he's, uh, I mean, his project generally is kind of to kind of create a new, uh, a new Muslim subject in this environment that's uh, of, uh, of uh, secular uh, materialism uh, in the Turkish Republic. And he sees Salafism as a, as a useful means of achieving that and uh, another arm of that uh, wider fight. Um, uh, the other uh, person uh, I would mention is uh, a group of Salafi preachers themselves. Um, there are a number of them um, around, I would say, I mean, the, the last I looked at this, around 10 or so, um, who are uh, 
using the term uh, openly, um, which would not have been so easy to do um, before 2002. Many of these people were arrested before or were harassed by uh, state security um, or police. Um, but since uh, 2002, things have shifted and, and, and these people can come out in the open a little bit more. Um, most of them have studied in the Islamic uh, University in Medina, in Saudi Arabia. Um, the one in particular who I found quite interesting and looked at was uh, Abdullah Yolju. Uh, he's based in Istanbul. Uh, he studied in Saudi Arabia. Um, he published extensively in Arabic uh, before um, putting material out in Turkish. And he established a publishing house called Guraba uh, in 1992 in Istanbul. Um, there, are, there are other ones, but this one's quite interesting. And uh, he seems to have... Uh, avoided uh, problems with, uh, with uh, the governments or various governments more than others. Um, he's originally uh, a, a Turkmen from North Iraq and he publishes in Arabic as Abdullah Abdul Hamid al-Athiri, sometimes adding al-Iraqi, the Iraqi at the end. Um, he's also a founding member of a group called the League of Muslim Scholars which was set up in Kuwait in 2010 as kind of a Salafi alternative to the uh, Federation of, uh, of uh, Global Federation of Ulama, the, of uh, Yusuf al-Qaradawi. Um, looking through his material, it's quite clear that he's, uh, he's of that school referred to as quietist. Uh, he's interested in the Hadith uh, scholars, uh, al Nasruddin al-Albani, uh, Rabi al-Madkhali, uh, who are all associated with the Islamic uh, University in, in Medina. Um, uh, the other thing uh, with him that we can say is that Really, uh, Goraba, this publishing house, is engaged in what you could describe as a translation project. Um, they're taking Arabic material and they're feeding it into the Turkish sphere. Whether it's Yolju's output, most of which has been in Arabic before, um, sometimes quite a long time ago, say 10 years ago, it's been published in Saudi Arabia, um, or they're taking uh, scholars such as Abdelaziz bin Baz, uh, bin Othaymin, Lalbani, or Al Fawzan, uh, all, who are all based in Saudi Arabia. Uh, if not Saudi, um, uh, his uh, themes are uh, familiar themes from Saudi Arabia, and if you, from Saudi Arabia, familiar themes uh, in, involving uh, not befriending non-Muslims, not acting like uh, non-Muslims, not taking part in their customs, not indulging in modern music, uh, not slipping into laxity uh, in terms of prayer and the established uh, rites. Um, Essentially, he's a, he, 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 it's, it's a message of trying to save souls by warning people how not to slip into unbelief. Um, but the, the message is nuanced in the sense that um, while uh, the implication is that uh, Turkey is a society essentially on the edge of a kufr, um, he would never say that directly. Um, his view is interesting when it comes to... Um, other movements in Turkey, intellectuals, including Ali Bulac or the AKP even. He doesn't really give them any uh, consideration. Um, he regards them all as being marred, in, uh, as he said, and uh, I spoke to him, and, uh, he was speaking in Arabic, he, as he said, they're, they're marred in nationalism and rationalism, al-Aqlaniya, and uh, too much interested in Sufism. Um, though again, he, he, he wouldn't write that. You don't see that stated so directly in, in what he's written. Um, in uh, two of his uh, main uh, works, um, uh, Salafi Salahin Akidaseh, Salafi, Salafi Salahin Belief uh, or Dogma, um, and another uh, Ahl Sunnet Wil Jama'ah Tegure Iman, Faith According to Ahl Sunnah Wil Jama'ah, um, they, uh, they both came out in like 2013 uh, in Turkish. Uh, they were originally published in Arabic uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, he's defining uh, Sunni Islam uh, on Salafi terms. Uh, normative uh, Islam is Salafi Islam is essentially the message. Um, and this claim is being pressed to a Turkish audience. Um, uh, the first one, uh, Salafi Salihin Akidase, was, was uh, first published, uh, printed in 2002 by the Saudi Ministry of Religious Affairs as a wajiz for Akidah to Salafi Salih, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, and it had an endorsement from the uh, Saudi Minister of Religious Affairs at the time. Um, uh, and it was in Turkey in 2013, 
with an addition of uh, four words of endorsement from 20 scholars from various countries, 11 of them based in Saudi Arabia, with one from Turkey, uh, Mohammed uh, Rashid uh, bin Khalid Karakoylu, who was former imam of the Van Sharifiye Mosque. Um, the book uh, Iman uh, was first published in 2003 uh, in Arabic as Al-Iman Hakikatu Khawarimuhu Nawaqiduhu and Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Asserts that uh, believers or Muslims are under the illusion that uh, uh, that it's a small sin to uh, to not to pray, to uh, not engage in giving alms, fasting, performing Hajj. Um, small sins can become large ones if not treated. Um, then you are in danger of slipping into uh, apostasy, um, whose penalty he, he says at one point is death. Um, in uh, the book Iman, uh, he talks of uh, the laws of the modern state uh, uh, should not be obeyed if uh, Sharia has been removed, and Sharia not being there is a form of apostasy. That's the closest you really get to kind of um, uh, damning the Turkish state, um, just like that. Uh, he has uh, many, uh, many of the other ones. Uh, one is about New Year celebrations from an Islamic perspective. Another regarding friendship and uh, enmity uh, from an Islamic perspective. Um, one on uh, visiting uh, graves and Sufi shrines. Uh, another on music. Um, uh, and some of these have been published in Arabic in Turkey as well, not just from Saudi Arabia, but they're being published in Arabic in Turkey as well, alongside the Turkish versions. Um, so I think, um, as I say, it's kind of a translation project uh, in a way. Um, knowledge transfer in this manner, uh, there's a kind of, it's an act of aggression uh, to a certain degree. Uh, translation theorists... Uh, and recent writing on this uh, presented that way. There's a study by Su uh, Susan Bassnett and André Lefebvre, uh, who in this book, uh, Translation, History and Culture, they, they argue that translation is never innocent. Um, as they say, rewriting can introduce new concepts, new genres, new devices, and the history of translation is the history also of literary innovation of the shaping power of one culture upon another. I think there's an attempt to, uh, there's an attempt to do that here. Um, when you read Rafida in Arabic, it's telling you something else when you say that, when, when it says Rafiziler in Turkish. Uh, when you see saying Rafida, you're thinking of uh, Shia in the Eastern Province, perhaps. If you see Rafiziler, you may think of, the, of Alevis in Turkey. Um, when discussing uh, music, um, using the term Sama in Arabic and Sama in Turkish, again, you're thinking of uh, practices of, of uh, Alevis and Sufis in Turkey. Um, in terms of, uh, there's a literature, quite a literature over the last uh, 10, 20 years on new religious movements. Um, you can see Salafism in this context as uh, a kind of marginal sect, uh, which is addressing the center, but with claims to represent normative Sunnism itself, while enjoying some degree of indulgence uh, of those claims from within the mainstream looking back over the way it's been discussed by people like Bolach and the way uh, Dianet has, uh, has, has discussed Salafism as well. So, um, uh, in conclusion, um, I think uh, it doesn't really seem possible to say that uh, potentially, um, I mean, just as much, it's, all these things are a bit tentative, but um, uh, that Salafism is not part of, uh, that we can't talk about Salafism in religious discourse. Um, which has been the argument for quite some time. Um, in Roland Meyer's uh, volume on transnational Salafism, uh, he says, and I quote, uh, Salafism can succeed in making inroads when its quietest current can find a niche or the nationalist movement has failed. I think uh, we can see here, um, I would say, that uh, some kind of niche has been found. Um, I think it's gone unseen through... Uh, ideas of exceptionalism through Arabist attentions elsewhere, uh, a, a big focus on AKP, of course. Um, there's also this uh, semantic confusion that uh, I pointed to a few times, um, whereas it's very clear to us what Salafia means in Arabic, despite its diversity and, and, and the problems with what it meant historically. Um, uh, 
but still, the fact that everyone is shifting around and changing their definitions constantly, from Salafia, even Salafiyajilik of Hayridin Karaman, um, you can see in a way, it seems to me, that there's still a desire to hold on to the meaning of uh, Salafism as uh, something, as, an, as a modernist uh, project, like of, of Muhammad Abdul Rashid Rida Al Afghani. Um, and to try and, there's a, there's a kind of attempt to try and meld that with these, these new ideas and new trends that refer to as Salafism as well. Um, I think the idea of uh, Turkey as, re as a resistant Sufi environment. I think it needs to consider obvious historical cases before the way they look now, the Hejaz. Um, there's a, a, a French uh, scholar who, I forget his name, but he, he did a study of uh, Sufi sects in the Hejaz in the late 19th century, and there were many of them. Um, of course, you wouldn't think that today because there are hardly any, or they would be very hidden, um, in the Najd itself and in the Hadramaut in uh, Yemen. Um, it's interesting as well, I haven't talked about them at all, but there's, a, uh, there's an interesting uh, group in Turkey uh, called Ibda, uh, headed by Salah Mirza Bayolu, um, uh, which um, was, you could call it radical. Um, it was broken up in the late 90s that he was arrested. Uh, they were uh, at attacking things like bars and banks and things like that, and they actually tried to attribute themselves uh, to claim that they were behind the 2003 Istanbul bombings, um, though I'm not sure that it's, I, I don't think it's taken seriously, they were just kind of trying to attach themselves to it. Um, but it's interesting that in recent years they've started to, uh, they started to use the term Salafism quite liberally, um, as, as if they see it as a, uh, this is a kind of um, anti, another, another version of anti-imperialism. Um, and they want to jump onto it. They were, they were, inter they were talking about Al-Qaeda a lot before, um, and now that that has uh, morphed into this uh, ISIS movement, they're talking about Salafism as well. Um, so, um, uh, you know, Sharif Mardin, uh, the uh, scholar Sharif Mardin, he said in a, his study of, uh, he had a quite famous study of Said Norsi, um, he talks about how the charisma of the Sheikh has been replaced by the charisma of the text, and in a sense, um, that's something that you see with uh, Salafism as it's uh, emerging through these groups in uh, Turkey. Um, and it shows that it's, and this is a development, it's really of a piece with uh, wider trends over the past century, um, as Shreve uh, Martin's comments suggest. Um, so, uh, yes, I, th I think uh, arg arguably it's uh, the idea of not discussing Salafism in the Turkish context is, uh, has to really be rethought. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was fascinating. Um, a lot of context and a lot of information and scribbling down throughout, but um, I'm sure there are still a lot of questions about the topic. It's quite complicated. Um, and so I'll go ahead and open up the floor for questions. So if you can just state your name and affiliation and question or brief comment, um, that would be great. My name is Ali. Um, my question is, do you think that Salafi Islam is Khawarji in nature? Uh, no. Um, there are elements of that there. Um, the thing is, it's such a diverse phenomenon. Um, the, 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 the term Khawarij is bandied around by so many people, and it's used today extensively to demonize Salafi groups but not necessarily all of them. Um, there's an element of uh, Kharijism in ISIS, but I don't think it would make sense to extend that to the other groups, I mean, not at all, like the Noor group in Egypt or uh, the various groups in Saudi Arabia. Um, the Saudi, Saudi official, the official religious establishment in Saudi Arabia itself is kind of, um, uh, there's a certain uh, schizophrenia there in a way, and a lot of the literature you will see the, the word takfir is used extensively, but when it comes to anything official, they know very much what they have to say, what they're expected to say, and the uh, King Abdullah before and others will actually tell them, you know, various points, we need you to come out and say something against these trends elsewhere, which are being associated with us. So there's a kind of uh, dual approach, but uh, you know, generally speaking, no, I, I don't think we could say that Salafism is uh, a Karaji phenomenon, no. 
Alex's question, I mean, you didn't mention about there, I mean, the uh, respect of the Salafism, or different Salafi understanding in Salafism. So if you consider some Salafism in Saudi Arabia, such as the Salafism, mm. they may totally even quite close to the religious methodology. So in Salafism mm. theology, I mean, at the theological level, at the ideological level, at the moral values, their theology, I mean, may be different from the Khwarijah. But some Salafist methodology, the way of acting, is quite similar to the Khwarijah as ISIS no Khwarijah does. Mm. It is because of that Al-Qaeda that I say, we are not, I mean, ISIS because our way is different, uh, our methodology is different from ISIS. So my question is all, uh, about the Turkish Salafism. To be honest, yeah, in the Turkey, I mean, uh, since 1923, even during the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish distance itself from the Salafism. Mm. But the main reason behind it is, the first is theology, because Turkey is based on the Hanafism, Methodism, Nationalism. Mm. But second, the Turkish scholars, even Ottoman scholars, they always associated Salafism with Arab identity. Mm. Because of they, they distance themselves from the Salafism. Even in Turkey, most of the Turkish scholars, when they look their ideas about the Salafism, they say Arab Salafism. Mm. And such an I mean, identical descent. But in Turkey, since uh, 1980s, there is a new Salafi understanding developed, the Hezbollah, or Kurdish Hezbollah, or the mm -hmm. Hezbollah. This group, they have a soft form of the Salafism, and they call themselves as the Salafis, and currently they have a political party in Turkey, Hudafa. Mm -hmm. So maybe not in the Turkey, but in the Kurdish part of Turkey, Salafism, they have a background at the ideological level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the um, the Hodafar movement is interesting, and this group uh, referred to. Uh, it's hard to know what to call it actually, because it's people in the media was referred to as Kurd, uh, Turkish Hezbollah. Sometimes it's called Kurdish Hezbollah. Um, the name obviously has makes people think of Lebanon, but it's nothing to do with them. Um, I think I, I didn't look at them, and you're right. They're they are interesting and worth looking at. The, one of the problems with them is I think that um, there was. Uh, uh, state security or intelligence infiltration of the movement. Yes, um, so it's difficult to judge them for that reason. And that's a problem with a lot of things, actually, when we come to study modern movements. It's, it, it makes it very difficult, because that kind of thing is going on probably extensively, more than we acknowledge. Um, but with them, it's quite, that's quite a point. And I think even with Ibdat as well, um, they, served, they served state interests up to a certain point, because they were very anti-Iran. So it was, it was okay to leave them be in the 1980s and early 1990s. Um, but they were, uh, interestingly, very sympathetic towards the Kurds as a national movement. Uh, not that they supported the PKK, but their discourse was, very, was, was quite strikingly different from everybody else. And that may be one reason the state turned against them in the end. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, this, this group, Turkish Tabala, are very interesting. Um, <coughs> I've seen Rusen Chakir, he, he discusses them quite a bit. Um, I think there is a danger, though, um, that it comes through a little bit in Rishan Chakra's writing, that uh, to see through a discussion of uh, this the Hezbollah group in the Turkish region, to see Salafism as something that, okay, if it's not the Arabs, it's the Kurds. So again, it's a way of kind of dividing, separating Turkey-Turkey uh, from everybody else. So there's a, there's a danger of exceptionalism coming through again, even in discussion of a group like that. But I think it does need to be discussed. With if that as well, um, as I understand, there's a, there's a lot of interesting literature they had. They're a really interesting group. Um, the way they presented themselves was, uh, was um, leftist in a way. Uh, Salak Mirza Biolo, there would often be pictures of him. He looked like he was Che Guevara or something. Um, uh, he was very much not in the, in the style of what we think of as an Islamist radical, you know, in the, in the modern era in any way whatsoever. Um, I th uh, as I understand, a lot of their literature is in uh, interior ministry uh, archives that are not accessible. Um, the, you know, the, the government has gone around collecting as much as they can on him and then kept it for themselves. It's closed off discussion. Um, but I think Ibda are worthy of more study and, and also this uh, Hezbollah group that you mentioned, definitely. I think they're becoming quite a, an interesting player as well, uh, even now, in, 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 in the Kurdish region against the PKK. And again, you know, there's some sense of manipulation going on. <coughs> yeah, lately we start uh, hearing about uh, Shia Salafism 
to what extent Shia Salafism is taken from the Sunni Salafism? Uh, who represents the Shia Salafism, according to you? Shia Salafism? Um, I've seen this uh, sense, uh, this um, the way Hezbollah of Lebanon extended itself into Syria. Um, I've seen discussed as if it's some kind of a shift within Shiism that perhaps speaks, speaks to what you're talking about. Um, uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, many people would point to the Walayat uh, al-Faqih concept in Iran and the Republic as a kind of uh, uh, fundamentalism, of course. Um, but uh, it's, um, I, I just think that the, the historically, theologically, uh, legal, to, uh, legal fit sense, it's, it's, it's so different. Um, it's hard to make a comparison. I mean, I haven't seen that said so much, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. Um, what, I, what is interesting is that um, uh, the idea of um, the... Uh, the, the, the Marja, which is uh, cited very often in Salafi context in Saudi Arabia as something against uh, Shiism. Um, I find it quite interesting how, to the extent to which within Salafism or even beyond, the idea of the Marja is essentially around as well. You know, Karadawi, to many, is Marja. Um, uh, Abu Muhammad al-Maqtasi is Marja, for many. Uh, Baghdadi is Marja, for many. Um, and the way... I heard a suggestion recently, was quite I think someone did a PhD on this in uh, Princeton, that the, uh, the kind of, the way that uh, the Sahaba companions have been discussed in recent times, last, in, the, in the context of, uh, of Iran as, a Shia, as, a, as an Islamic Republic, um, so obviously you have this uh, tense environment and uh, lots of arguments on theological issues, and the idea that Shia are, are uh, insulting the Sahaba, the companions, is, is something that's... Uh, it's hugely discussed, and then quite often in Saudi Arabia, you know, people will be arrested on the accusation of uh, Sabah Sahaba. <coughs> um, an, ar uh, an argument is that uh, Sabah, uh, the Sahaba, in a way, there's almost a kind of cult of the Sahaba that's uh, developing in the way that it's discussed so much, which you know, almost mirrors the Imams in Ibn uh, Ashur's Shiism. Um, so there's kind of interesting developments in the way that uh, within Sunnism uh, and discussions of the Sahaba, which are mirroring this example that you have with Iran of this, uh, this uh, religious state uh, led by Faqih um, and the Imams and the Sahaba. Uh, in Saudi Arabia as well, you will have the, um, the religious scholars, the ulama. Uh, even sometimes they will suggest, they will wonder whether they should, uh, they should take over uh, to run the state. There was some discussion of this after 2000, after 9/11 in 2001 in Saudi Arabia, um, where some prominent ulama were pressing the idea that we are the ones who actually should be running this and not El Saud. Um, again, it makes you think of the life of the life. Um, so I think there are interesting <coughs> trends that um, events like 1979 have uh, new ways of thinking or subconscious developments that have happened without anyone realizing what they're doing. Um, so, yes, within that, there's some possibly room for some discussion of uh, Shi Salafism. Um. One, one thing I wanted to ask you is about the explicit Saudi role in terms of promoting um, kind of different styles of Salafism in, inside of Turkey. I mean, you mentioned that the group of Salafi preachers, went, most of them went to the Islamic University in Medina. Mm -hmm. Is there any attempt to kind of bring that education to Turkey, or is it kind of one way from Turkey to, to Saudi? Um, uh, well, the, the thing with that university is it's associated with this, uh, this group within Salafism of uh, Salafi Ilmiya, uh, who, who are not interested, who are against Taqlid, um, who are described as quietest. Um, and that's very much what Yolju is trying to bring with him into Turkey. Um, it's certainly the safest. Uh, way to frame yourself as a Salafi, that's for sure. Um, uh, whether 
I, to some degree, I mean, obviously, I, the implication of what I'm saying is that, that to a degree, you could see this as a kind of Saudi project, to a degree. Um, you know, it, it happened in the context of 1982 when King Fahad took over. Um, you have this huge production of, uh, of, of the Quran from Saudi Arabia, of Wahhabi literature. It's been disseminated globally. And uh, it, it's acknowledged that this affected uh, so many different countries. And um, Mayer's volume is discussing to what degree in every context can we say that this is just a product of Saudi Arabia or is there some local tradition which is merging with it. Um, the fact that there, is, there was something happening politically between Turkey and Saudi Arabia at that time as well, uh, as I say, I think it's been overlooked. And it has had this consequence today where you have, you have these people who studied in this, uh, this uh, university in, in Medina and now they're in Turkey and they're putting this material <coughs> Uh, into the uh, into the arena um, in this context of AKP rule, the context of the war in Syria, um, the state has a very lax attitude towards them that is not encouraging encouraging them. But um, the sense of the other way around, as in Turkish Islamic thinking or movements influencing Saudi Arabia, I don't think we can see that at all actually. <coughs> um, the other way around, which is part of a. a general phenomenon that everyone has experienced all, all over the Middle East. Um, I mean, in Egypt, people have been talking a long time about the sort of Salafi winds coming from the Gulf, affecting, um, you know, even, even you know, culture on many different levels as well. Um, but look at the case of uh, Nasser, uh, Nasser Abu Zaid uh, in the late 90s, um, and Hussein Faman discussing what the, the shifts within the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think that the it's, it's unidirectional. It's going from Saudi Arabia to other places. It hasn't been noticed that it was also going to Turkey as well. Um, whether there is other influence uh, the other way around, there may well be. I I know I haven't um, can't think of it, but um, somebody maybe can make a point about it. Now. Uh, yeah. Um, well, um, okay. Hanbalism uh, has, and you could say the core of it in many ways, I think it's normally regarded that when we talk of Salafism, we're talking of something that has a Hanbali core because of the Wahhabi movement um, from uh, the uh, 1700s. Um, but uh, it's, not, it's not all there is to say, that's for sure. Um, that movement uh, who are against taklid of the schools, they have, have problems with the idea of uh, sticking so closely to Hanbalism, um, uh, which you know comes from uh, from the early 19th century, uh, Shalkani in, in Yemen, uh, and Nasruddin al-Bani uh, in recent times in Saudi Arabia. And I think that caused some kind of tension there as well amongst scholars and with the, the, the authorities in Saudi Arabia as well. The fact that you had this questioning of uh, the Hanbali Wahhabism from within Salafi tradition, um, and it's interesting in in, in Yolju, uh, he he does make an effort to cite from across the schools. He's not sticking to Hanbalism at all, and in fact he doesn't even uh, cite uh, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab so much. Uh, it's far more ibn Taymiyyah. Um, but uh, Hanafism itself, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's become so associated with uh, the Ottoman experience and the way the, the Ottoman Empire in its uh, latter stages uh, really instrumentalized uh, Hanafism, this Hanafi maturity system, as something belonging to, as, as, as something uh, to increase the prestige of the state and its uh, legitimacy in, uh, in its conflict with uh, the European powers and the way they're using missionaries and this kind of thing, especially in the 1890s. Salim Deringil and his, his, uh, his work, he really brings us across from the archives that he's looked at, that um, this instrument, instrumentalization of Hanifism was something very strong. Um, so it's come to be seen in Saudi Arabia, it's associated with everything, everything that's wrong um, is with, 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 with Turkey, with Ottomans. Uh, and Hanifism gets associated with this, um, which is interesting. Um, 
So yeah, um, but uh, you know, Yolju and those people they will um, they will cite from from Hanafi scholars. Um, but you know, it has to be said, the ha the, the Hanbalis are prominent. There's no question. Saudi Arabia, there's, there's an, an effort, um, a successful one, let's say, to to ditch this term Wahhabism and replace it entirely with Salafism. Um, it, Wahhabism was something, was a term they were never particularly happy with themselves. Not that they never used it. There is evidence they did in some cases with letters that were sent out to various religious scholars in the early 1800s. Occasionally they would talk about, I think, say, Dawah Salafia. Um, it, it's not that it didn't happen, it did. But generally speaking, they didn't like the term, and it was something used by their enemies. Um, when Salafism, <coughs> or the Salafia term, became uh, so prominent uh, in the early uh, 20th century, um, and I think in the work of uh, Yitzhak Weissman, he talks, he talks a lot about how it was used amongst uh, theologians in Damascus and Baghdad in the late Ottoman period. Um, uh, who were in, who were close to who were part of this uh, this lemma uh, this uh, this uh, against taklid movement. Um, this put the term uh, not just in the frame of uh, the uh, modernists, but with these other people as well. And so there was a chance for um, Saudi Arabia and the religious establishment to to associate itself with this and uh, move and move away from the term Wahhabism. So I, you know, as I say, I think that's something that's been gone over over the, throughout the 20th century, but. In recent times, um, say since 9/11, when uh, because 15 of the 19 uh, attackers were from Saudi Arabia, uh, Wahhabism became a topic of discussion in Western media, and it became very problematic for Saudi Arabia. So there was this added interest in uh, taking Wahhabism, this term, this phrase, off the agenda, and I think Salafism has become a useful way of doing that. And um, even in, I mean, in Western media, Salafism wasn't was not a term that people were using. Even in, in 2001, there was an article I came across, and I think it was in the Guardian, and it spelt Salafi as S-A-L-A-F-E-E. -E. Now, no one would do that today, but it just as an indication of how there was this kind of uh, people were not sure what does this mean. The term was being brought out into public space in a way that it wasn't before, and uh, there was a Saudi interest in uh, again in using this term and ditching Wahhabism. Um, your other point about uh, about the ruler uh, and adherence to the ruler, it's. Um, it's pretty much across the board, um, the idea that you, uh, that uh, even if the ruler is unjust, that he's personally immoral, that you should stick to that ruler as long as he's assuring the application of Sharia. He's allowing the courts to operate and the ulama to oversee the, the, the legal system, which is an, and the whole tradition of Sharia. Um, uh, the, the, the problem comes in where a ruler is seen as, uh, uh, firstly on personal terms, is he moral, um, which Johi Man uh, had a problem with, but also is the system, the modern system that they're overseeing is an Islamic system, and that was a problem that Said Qutb had with, had with Nasser, of course. So, um, and then obviously the ideas of jihad and discussions of jihad come into the equation. Um, but generally speaking, the idea that you stick with the ruler, um, despite a lot of wrong things that people could suffer or bad things that people could suffer in society despite the personal probity of the, the, the person who actually uh, is a sovereign ruler um, there's a huge amount of leeway across the board I think with, uh, I mean that's my impression when it comes to selfie schools um, and I 
the, the current Saudi Mufti, I, I remember he was saying in, in 2003, 2004, was all over Saudi media when he said, you uh, continue to give bayah, uh, oath, your loyalty uh, to the ruler, even if they were jair, you know, they were tyrannous, they were unjust, you know, whatever. As long as they are assuring that we, the ulama, are empowered to apply sharia via the legal system and the courts, then we don't have a problem. That's the main point, because then an Islamic society can function. Um, the ruler himself, uh, in the kind of classic uh, model, really, is actually rather unimportant, and has been since the Abbasid period, when the, the, uh, the relation between the caliphate and the ulama uh, consolidated after some, uh, I think, a kind of tumultuous and unclear period in, during the period we call the Rashidun Caliphs and the Umayyad period, um, which has been uh, discussed uh, controversially to degree by some uh, Islamic uh, scholars of the early Islamic period. Um, when you get to the Abbasid period and you have this system, this consolidation of the relationship between the Caliphate and the ulama, uh, the Caliphate is actually rather unimportant. The ruler is unimportant. And you see that today in the way that the, uh, the, the, the scholars uh, regard the, the, personal, the personal issues of the ruler. Um, so there is huge leeway given to the ruler. As long as, the, as, long as Sharia is applied <coughs> and the ulama are there, the fuqaha are there, everyone is doing their job to ensure that Sharia is applied. Uh, Sharia which is governing and protecting society itself. Then this guy on the top doesn't really matter. You know, he's ensuring the borders, he's ensuring uh, the Sharia uh, uh, led, dominated society, that's, that's fine. Any other questions? Well, thank you so much and thank you for, for joining us. Um.